Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the podcast extension of the show for 75th. And our guest for today is Envis McMurray, local historian and author, who will be talking to us about Continental Flight 11. The history buffs joining us for today are Rick Sweet and Jay Swords. Jay, would you like to get us off, please? Sure. Envis, my question here, events like this tend to be mythologized fairly yeah. quickly. Um, and Centerville, so I'm interested because you said there were hundreds of people who had, were involved in one capacity yes. or another. How did this evolve over time? Did this story evolve, and, and what kind of a story is it now within Centerville's sort of cultural identity? Well, remember, it was 1962. Uh, many of the people involved um, have died. Um, I managed to get to some of them that had played an active role. And there's a feeling, you know, this tremendous effort these people turned out. They didn't hesitate, but to get into dire, there'd been terrible storms all day. So Jean Horn, who was working for the Centerville Fire Rescue people searching, um, he said that sometimes he'd be up to his waist in mud. And what I think what you feel is they're disappointed and yet not surprised that the story has not been told in a way before now and in more detail. Um, I think it, it's. I think I used the phrase earlier, which is this is flyover country, and it seemed to reinforce that what happened here, how good these people were, how brave, how unquestioning they turned out with such kindness and help, and it was forgotten. And of course, the Paris crash that I, I told you occurred 12 days later in Orly Airport. And this was very wealthy Atlanta art patrons. And they had been on a two or three week tour of Europe, touring art galleries and buying possessions to come back to Atlanta to the art museums there. And all of a sudden, all the focus of the world disappeared, was gone, because it went there to Paris and this other awful crash. There are a few, however, I find beautiful stories that emerge. Um, For example, in 1968, Arthur Haley, Canadian-British writer, uh, was inspired by this particular crash when he wrote Airport. An airport became a national bestseller, and it became a movie, and I think there were a couple of spin-off movies from it as well. Um, this, this story almost reads like a movie. Um, I have had one publisher um, was interested, but wanted me to change how I'd written it. I've written it minute by minute. It starts off um, with the plane taking off from Chicago. Um, and then I go 
place to place. I moved from place to place. The FAA, head of the FAA, Najib Halabi, he's told the story that this is missing, and he's in Mountain View, California. So I, I move around all the places actually for 50 years till they put a memorial on the town square in Unionville. Um, the publisher wanted me to change it to chapters, and I refused. And he also wanted me to change from present tense. I've written it in the present tense. And why have I done that? I felt an urge to do it as I was putting it together, because I think it makes it more intense and more immediate so that as people are reacting, actually people that, <laughs> people that have read the first 23 pages say, oh, my God, this is a, this is a movie. And I wanted it to have that visual movement effect all the way through. Um, now, when you say mythologizing it, I suppose the, the, see, Arthur Haley didn't actually credit out loud. I read his wife's biography, and she says about his involvement and how he uh, was so influenced. And, and of course, in the airport, you know, it doesn't end up like it did in real life. The characters on the aircraft in, in that movie actually survive. Um, but the young man goes to put the bomb in the rear restroom just the same way. Um, then the story I think I love the best is one of the people on board was a man called Hamilton, and he was the father of seven children. They were all under the age of 11. And his daughter, now, of course, much older, on um, January the not January, where am I going? On September the 11th in 20, 2001, the great awful thing that happened in New York City. The daughter, Catherine, lived in Woodland Hills, California. She says she walked into her apartment and heard about this terrible event having occurred with Flight 11. And she shouted, no, that's daddy's flight. At that moment, she makes up her mind that the family, the Hamiltons, are going to come back. And she contacts um, a retired army major by the name of Dwayne Crawford. And Dwayne had gone to teach in his retirement at Unionville High School. And he wrote four articles for the Unionville newspaper. And they were given to me by a wonderful friend who happens to be a Welsh immigrant like I am to America, right? And she said, you like writing in this? And she sent me the articles. But Dwayne's articles were wonderful, but he deals only with the story in Unionville, Missouri, not the whole story that's happening. Um, but she read them. Catherine Hamilton read them, and the, all the Hamiltons came. They were given a wonderful event by the people in Unionville who took them for dinner and brought them home and took them to the site. And the, the, the sheriff went and, and the doctor, Charles Judd, to describe what he found when he got there. I find that very moving. But it took a, a, an idea on that day in 2001 for them to think, why don't we do a memorial? And now, believe it or not, the picture switches to New Zealand, where a young man fascinated by aviation has a website. And then he sets up a blog and says, 
Whatever happened to this Continental Flight 11? It's a complete injustice. This story of this flight has never been told. So immediately, people start communicating with him, and he comes to the unveiling on that lawn down there in, in Unionville. But I have to tell you that amongst all the victims, there's a, there's a mystery of that flight. All the searches that were being done by the FBI, everything, there was a dog, a beautiful German shepherd dog, young, intelligent, well-behaved, with a great gash below his chin. And he was wandering everywhere. And eventually the sheriff, David Fowler, turned to his brother, Rob, and he said, you know, nobody is claiming this dog. I've been asking the farmers around here. I've asked everybody working here. They, they say that isn't their dog. They don't know whose dog it is. Would your son, Robert, take this dog and adopt him until somebody claims him? So Robert, eight years old, gets that dog and loves that dog and takes him home. And he names the dog Continental Flight 11, Boeing. Flight 11. And I think that's a beautiful little twist of the story. Yeah. It is. Rick, you got a question? I'm going to piggyback on what uh, Jay asked. My parents uh, didn't talk about what we went through that night. And Mom kind of watched both Dad and I for several weeks afterwards, I think for post-traumatic stress syndrome yeah. or something. Because... Right. W- I dad may have known what he was getting into, but I certainly as a 13 year old didn't know. And uh, uh, the somber mood uh, around the people that because uh, we were at a staging area where they were loading bodies into to cars. But yeah. uh, uh, I remember in Centerville uh, that there was nearly a word said uh a month or two afterwards, once it cleared the newspapers and all that, it literally was wiped from the community's consciousness. I didn't hear a word. And, and I think that is the effect that your mother was watching for in you and your father. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of people um, were a little hesitant to open up to me. Um, I tell you who did. A young man was 18, Gleason. And he lives out in Phoenix, and he emailed me to say that his father, who was a, um, a, um, he was a doctor in the community, and he had taken his son there that morning. And in the email, um, Mr. Gleason says to me, I wish I'd never gone. I've never forgotten the sights I saw. Mm. And what one of the National Guardsmen told me, no, there wasn't dismemberment. Oh, yes, there was. And he, the, the National Guardsman and I worked it out that the rear of the plane um, is where he was working and there wasn't dismemberment. But the dismemberment was at the front part of the plane where it had gone into the ground. And there were gruesome sights that people were describing to me. And they were reluctant to talk about it. And... Um, I, these awful situations occur, but I think there is also underlying it all pride that they know how well they all behaved, even if it was all forgotten. Okay. We would like to thank our noted guests for the 475th show, Envis McMurray, local historian and author, 
who has talked to us about the Continental Flight 11. The history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Jay Swords. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at tunein.com. If you're looking for older problems, programs, excuse me, you'll find them at soundcloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.